0: We have been in the book of Colossians, where we're at right now, two weeks ago. I only missed one Sunday, like I said. We flew out two Sundays ago after service, um, but we left off. We finished chapter two last time, and we're picking up in chapter three, and we're only going to look at a few verses in chapter three, the first three, uh, four verses of chapter three. So before we go any further, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Lord, we're grateful to be able to study your word. Thank you, Lord, for the the safe travels and bringing us home safely. And, Lord, we do want to lift up Kathy and Haley who have continued to stay in Israel for another 10 days to work with another ministry to do outreach and and just pray, God, for strength and protection and safety for Kathy and for Haley and for the teams that are going out and sharing the gospel. Lord, we pray, God, for, for even more seeds to be sown. We pray, Lord, for more fruit. come as a result and we just pray for for soft hearts for the jewish people to recognize their messiah lord please bless this time as we study your word give us eyes to see give us ears to hear and it's in your mighty name lord jesus that we pray amen so i'm going to read the first three i mean four verses and then we'll back up a little so paul begins chapter three by saying if you then be risen with christ Seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. The chapter opens with the Apostle Paul talking about, and he uses the conditional word if. And yet, if you'll notice in the newer translations, the NIV, it says since. And it's probably more accurate that way. It is if, but it's an if with an understanding that this is the case. This is the truth. And the reason why it's the truth is because if you remember back in chapter 2, as I back you up to verse 12, the Apostle Paul begins to talk about in chapter 2 of what baptism is and what it represents. And it says in chapter 2, verse 12, that we're buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. And continuing the rest of the chapter, he's basically going to talk about the result of that. What happens when a person comes to Christ? When they've been born again by the Spirit of God and as a result of that new life in Christ, as a result of that new life in Christ, we are alive spiritually, but we are dead in a sense, temporally. That this old man... That, again, too, before Christ came into my life, this old man governed everything I did, every decision I made. This old man, again, too, was easily tempted and went astray. This old man wasn't convicted by the sin. But when a person comes in, into Christ, then the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so as in chapter 2, he is talking about being dead, the old man being dead, but being risen in Christ. Chapter 3 is kind of where he picks up of what he was saying there in the previous chapter in verses 12 and verses 13 and he says if you then be risen with Christ since you're risen with Christ if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior then you're risen with Christ if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior then you're not risen with Christ and it's as simple as that a person has to respond to the gospel a person isn't born into Christianity we make a decision we ask for forgiveness we have a an experience in which God comes in and dwells in us. In Revelation chapter 3, it says that the Lord stands at the door and that he knocks. I mean, that knocking takes place. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when, when Peter preaches the gospel, there's a conviction that takes place in people's hearts. And 3,000 of them respond to that. So They ask the question, what do we do? And, and Peter tells them very clearly, he says, repent accept christ be baptized i mean there is something that takes place we people were not i mean people sometimes think of our country as being a christian country or christian nation think well i'm just a christian because i grew up i grew up going to the church i grew up in a christian family that does not make a person a christian what makes a person a christian is a born again experience Uh, it's a repentance and it's inviting Christ into our hearts. I've shared my testimony of how I came to Christ before. I grew up going to church. And I went to church a lot growing up. But it wasn't until I responded to the gospel. Romans chapter 10 says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. There's an assurance. There's a change that takes place. You experience that. In chapter 3 verse 1 in our passage when he says since you then are risen with Christ he's talking to believers he says seek those things that are above it's not enough just to accept Christ as our Savior but what happens from that point on is is we need to begin to live for the Lord we begin to make decisions we begin to, to look and to seek now I've shared, again, too, before my own testimony, uh, you know, after I accepted Jesus as my Savior, two days later, my boss, I was in the Marine Corps, my boss asked me, what are you doing on Sunday? And I, I remember thinking, well, you know, I'm going to go to the chow hall for breakfast. And then I'm going to, you know, back then, I it's, imagine me being fit, you know. I used to run quite a bit being in the Marines. I, I ran to be in shape and to be always combat-ready kind of a thing. But, you know, I would run 8 to 10 miles um, four or five days out of the week. So I was what you would call a, a hardcore runner for a while. So he asked me, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to eat breakfast. Uh, I'm probably going to go for a run. I might go to church on Sunday morning. I typically did. I, I Somehow I was going to go to church as well and then maybe run in the afternoon. And he says, well, where are you going to go to church? And I said, right here on base. And he says, you don't want to do that. I said, well, yeah, I do. And he says, no, you don't. <laughs> I guess I don't. I said, well, why? I mean, and he says, because you need to go to a church where God's word is being taught. You know, now that you've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, Peter says in his epistle, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God. I shared about how 25 years ago we brought home this precious little gift that God had given us in a daughter. One of the things that babies do is, is that they cry. And I remember when we were leaving the adoption agency with all the paperwork and with our little seven pound baby and the car carrier and, you know, buckled in and we start driving and And we had just given her a bottle before we left and changed her diaper and everything. It was about a two and a half hour drive from where we picked her up in Los Angeles County to down to Oceanside where we were staying with family and where we had been from. And then the next day we were flying out of San Diego. But as we started driving just 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the drive, and I have to tell you, as a new dad, I never drove more carefully than that one time. Just like, I'm looking everywhere, and I'm driving like an old man, you know, just like I drive now, actually. But I, I was driving so carefully. But all of a sudden, at, at some point, Sarah began to cry and to fuss. And, and Lynn says, what do we do? What do we do? I said, well, we know she's got a clean diaper, and we know we just fed her, so she's a baby. Babies cry. We just let her cry. But getting back to babies and what Peter says in his epistle about babies, one of the things that babies desire is they desire to be fed. And he likens a new relationship with Jesus Christ, that becoming a spiritual being, as being a babe in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're 20 years old when you've accepted Jesus as your Savior or whether you're 70 years old when you accept Jesus as your Savior. You're at that same level of spiritual maturity and there is a need to feed that spirit of God that dwells and resides in you. And the way that that is accomplished is the milk of the word of God. Seeking those things which are above. You begin to look at things that are above. You know, there's a number of passages in the previous epistle that we were studying in Ephesians. In chapter 1... There's two passages that I want to bring your attention to and then one passage out of chapter 2. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and again, to all these just simply demonstrate when when he says here in our passage to seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God, he is speaking of spiritually, speaking of heavenly places. Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In verse 18 and verse 19 of the same chapter, Paul's prayer for the believer is that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Verse 20, which he wrought or accomplished in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Once again, in heavenly places. In chapter 2 of Ephesians verse 4, not only is it speaking of the spiritual blessings that we have in heavenly places or the place that that Christ resides now that he's risen from the dead, but in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 through 6 talks about we're seated in the same place with him. If, and again too, I'm going to keep saying this, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. See, it's funny because the mentality in the world today is, oh, we're all good people, we're all going to heaven. All philosophies and all religions, they're going to the same place. No, they don't. I mean, it's like, I mentioned the flights. I mean, it would be like the pilot who's flying our plane from Tel Aviv at JFK and as he's beginning to make the approach, the control tower tells the pilot, in order for you to land safely, you need to approach from the east, you need to approach at a particular speed and a particular elevation, and because there's multiple runways at JFK, you need to land on this particular runway in order for you to be safe, to land safely. And it would be like the pilot say, well, you know what, I think all runways and all elevations lead to the same place, and I'm just going to go anywhere and do anything I want and expect somehow to land safely at my destination. I mean, we don't think of that in terms of anything else. If I was driving, and we do frequently drive out to California, over the years we've done that, a lot of family out there, and If I was driving and if I just just decide, well, always, all highways lead to California, I can just take any one I want and get there. It's foolish. But why is it when it comes to spiritual things that people somehow have this mentality that all beliefs, all philosophies, as long as we're good, we're all going to heaven? No, we're not. Christianity is something that is exclusive. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. So now that I've made that and established that clearly, Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about for us as believers in Jesus Christ that we're also seated in heavenly places as well. Chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved and has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Positionally, we as believers, that's the place that we're seated. That's what we need to be seeking for. That's what we should be looking for. We should be heavenly minded. We should be thinking, you know, this is what I'm looking to accomplish in my life now that my life has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. The second thing that Paul goes on to say then in our passage in verse 2 is not only do we seek those things that are above, but he says in verse 2, set your affection on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth or on the earth. Seek heavenly things, set your affection on heavenly things. See, it's one thing to seek and to find. Sometimes people are looking for answers. I mentioned a a couple of months ago I was on a flight, and the reason why this is always on my mind lately is I, 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 I crushed my finger helping a woman with her baggage, putting it up in the overhead bin. And when that happened, I responded, I didn't swear, didn't do anything wrong. But I just, ah, you know, and immediately, you know, you could see that the fingernail was smashed and the woman that was sitting, and the flight was full. This was really cool. The flight was full. I think there was only like two empty seats and one of the empty seats was right between me and this woman that I was sitting. She was sitting at the window. And she. I told this story a few you know, months ago when this happened. But it's interesting because this reminds me of what verse two is talking about you know there are those that seek and you can tell them the truth but you also have to set your affection on those things then and with this particular woman she saw me smash my finger and she says oh you know she kind of said oh too bad that you smashed your finger you were trying to do something nice for somebody and got hurt in the process I said yeah and it just kind of opened up the conversation and she one of the first questions she asked me is so you know what do you do and I said I'm a pastor and she immediately her, her, her whole expression on her face changed. She was like, I don't believe in Christianity. I think Christians are a bunch of hypocrites and she just she just kind of let me have it initially. You know, just, you know open, <laughs> open season on Christians, kind of a thing. And you know what? I don't take things personally. It doesn't bother me. You know But the interesting thing that happened as a result, was it gave me an opportunity to talk about Christianity. It gave me an, an opportunity to talk about God's Word. And she was going through a trial. And the interesting thing is, is after that two and a half hour flight, by the end of the flight, then she was asking me for the church, the name of the church that you pastor. Uh, do you have information on your website? I would want to go to a church that you're 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 pastoring. Is what she said. That, that was exactly her words. But here's the thing, you can share the truth with somebody but it's another thing than for us as believers to set our affection on the things that are above. So many times Christians respond to the gospel and like the parable of the sower, we react to the seed that's being sown. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells his disciples the parable of the sower. It's something that we're familiar with. He, he, he tells that the sower goes out and he sows seed. And he talks about four different types of ground in which the seed falls. Some of it falls by the wayside. Some of it falls upon the rock. Some of it falls among... The the weeds and the thorns, and some of it falls on good ground. And in verse seven is when he talks about the the seed that falls among the thorns. He says, and some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up, and it choked it. It choked the seed. Later on in the parable, or after Jesus is done telling the parable, the disciples asked Jesus, what does this parable mean? This is one of my favorite parables because there are other parables in the Gospels. But Jesus explains exactly what the important symbolism is in this particular parable. And he says in verse 11 that the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So when he tells this story of the sower sowing seed, he's talking about somebody who is in a sense sowing the word of God. That happens, I believe, two ways. That happens when evangelism is taking place when you're preaching the Word of God that's what we spent two weeks in Israel doing that was one of the things we did but I think it also happens even from the pulpit whenever God's Word is being taught we have a choice as to how we respond to the Word of God it's a spiritual thing that God is wanting to accomplish in a person's life so Jesus explains what the what the seed is he explains what the seed that falls by the wayside is. And he says that that's the birds of the air coming to pluck it up. That's actually a picture of what the devil does. That he takes the word of God out of a person's heart unless, or unless they should believe and be saved. I mean, again, too, if you've ever been to a crusade or if you brought somebody to church, and your hope is that they would hear the gospel message. They would hear what Jesus has done. You need to pray because there's a spiritual battle that's taking place. Satan is wanting to pluck up that seed. I mean, it, it, it's already difficult because again, too, people all, all automatically their defenses go up. I don't want to hear about that. Or I knew. I remember when I shared with my parents the first time of what Jesus had done in my heart. My dad just immediately, his defenses went up and he says, yeah, when I was in the Air Force, I knew this guy. He was like a a crazy Christian, just like you. You He's talking to my dad, just like you are now. And my dad said to me, he says, this will (laughs) fade. It's like, well, you know what, that was 30 plus years ago. And I said to my dad, I said, you know what, dad, you can't take Jesus out of my heart. The change is permanent that he has made in my life. But that's what Satan does. He will try to pluck up the seed that's being sown. He, he, he speaks of the seed or the word of God that falls among the rock and he says that those are the ones that receive the word initially with joy, but they have no root and for a while they believe, but then when the time of temptation comes, they fall away. Again, this is, I think this is a picture of somebody who responds to the gospel but then is never really discipled, never really is plugged in, never reads God, God's word, never, in a, in a sense, builds a, a strong foundation. And when temptations come, they're not equipped to be able to deal with the temptations. They just go away with the temptation. But in verse 14 is the one I want to draw your attention to in Luke chapter 8. And it, like I said, it's the one that falls among thorns. It's the one that in verse 2 of our passage, where, 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 where Paul is saying to set our affix, our affection on things that are above. And he contrasts it by saying, not on the things of this earth. See, you it's like that old Bob Dylan song, you're going to serve somebody. You know, It might be to the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Your heart is going to be fixed on something. There are different things that people fix their hearts on. And it's either going to be the things of God and his kingdom, or it's going to be the things of this world, or the things that are pleasing to the flesh, things that ultimately will fade away. And Jesus says that about the seed that falls among the thorns. Verse 14, And that which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. We as believers are to seek those things that are above, but we're also to set our affection on the things that are above. I mean, what do you fix your heart on? What is it that occupies, drives you? What is it? that again too is the filter through which you make decisions is it what's pleasing to me or is it what's pleasing to God is it his kingdom or is it my little kingdom that we're living in and again too if you're you're thinking about just this life the Bible says that this life is just a vapor it's here for a moment and it's gone you know, one of the things that, I, again, too, made me a little brokenhearted on the trip to Israel was the younger generation that we had opportunity to talk to. And so many of them have this sense of hopelessness because as a nation, the nation of Israel has once again existed since 1948. And the earlier generations that came back to inhabit the land it was a daunting task to be reestablished as a nation once again. It's miraculous. It really is. No nation has ever survived thousands of years of being scattered, only then to come back once again and be established as a nation. And when they migrated back to Israel, they, it was a, a huge task rebuilding Israel and rebuilding the, the, the country and the society of Israel. And they have encountered enemies surrounding them from the Arab nations since their inception. And it's gotten to the point now, these however many years it's been, 60, 70 years, that now the youth, and now all the terrorism that has taken place recently in Israel, but also throughout the world, the youth kind of feel like this sense of hopelessness, like they're just tired and weary of the hatred and the opposition, opposition and this fear that their, their lives and their country could be overrun at any minute and that nobody cares for them. And they have this, almost this, you know, I want to call it, and the Bible talks about it, kind of this Epicurean philosophy of life. You know, if we're going to die, we don't know what's going to happen. Let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's just live life for today because we don't know what's going to happen and it's just too depressing. And yet, the Bible reminds us of this eternal perspective that we have And that it's more than this life. And he says to set our affection on the things that are above. Not the things that are on the earth. One other passage that for me comes to mind is in the parable. or or, I'm sorry, not in the parable of the sower. But in the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus talks about the importance of his heavenly kingdom. And not this earthly, worldly thing that we are always thinking about and always worrying about, and always, in a sense, God is wanting to take care of His children, and He does. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or material possessions, the things of this world. Verse 25, Jesus goes on to say, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought, or don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor yet for your body what you will put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than clothing? Behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, Neither do they reap, nor do they gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? And which of you, by taking thought or by worrying, can add a cubit or 18 inches to a stature? I mean, you know, have you ever tried to worry yourself and make yourself taller? Nobody can do that. Basically he's saying, you can't do that, so why are you worried about, verse 28, about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and is tomorrow cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Take no thought, or don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the nations seek... For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Again, to set your affection. What's your priority? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Take no thought or don't worry for tomorrow. For tomorrow will take thought or worry for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is, there e- is the evil thereof. Yeah, Stop trying to figure out what's going to happen tomorrow. Focus your attention on what's going on today. Set your affection on the things that are above. The next thing that he says in verse 3, and again too, it's going back to verse 1, it's going back to verse 12 of the previous chapter. He says you're dead. Now, And and he doesn't say this in a bad way. It's actually a good thing. It's a good thing that my fleshly, carnal, sinful nature has been put to death on the cross. You're dead. But he says, your life is hid with God in Christ. Anybody who's experienced that rebirth understands that and knows exactly what I'm talking about. I remember, again, too, growing up, I went to a private high school, I went to a Catholic high school. And I remember one of the classes that I took was a religion class. And I remember the nun that was teaching the class asked the question, and this is in the 70s. I, went to, I was in high school from 74 to 78. And I remember the nun asking in this religion class, as we were talking about different religions, she began to talk about Christianity. Not Catholicism, but Christianity. And she said, has anybody ever met somebody who's born, been born again? And, of course, we're just high school students. We don't know what she's talking about. We're high school students in a Catholic high school. We didn't know what she was talking about. But as she went on to describe the person that was born again, she said, you know, these are Christians that claim to have had an encounter with Christ and have been saved. And there is, you know, she acknowledges, she says, there's something powerful and infectious. When you meet someone who's been born again, you'll know it. And I remember then when I first met someone who was born again. John chapter 3, Jesus talks about being born again or born from above. But when I saw that, I, I recognized what she was talking about. And it's a person then who's no longer living for themselves, they're dead. For you are dead, verse 3. And your life is hid with Christ in God. We may be dead to the fleshly, sinful, carnal nature that we once had. But we have life that is even greater. Jesus says in John, I believe it's chapter 7, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me, and out of his innermost being will flow torrents of living water. I mean, the person that's been born again knows what it is to have their sins forgiven, knows what it is to have that eternal perspective, and has their hope in the next life that is to come and the life that is hid in Christ. You know, if you, I I was checking my pockets because when we were traveling I always had some coins, some shekels from Israel in my pockets and I I thought, maybe I still have a few coins in my pocket, but all I have is this dime. But if I were to take this dime and hide it, do you see the dime? No, no, you don't see the dime. What do you see? You only see the hand in which the dime is hidden. It's this one. I'm not going to do any sleight of hand because I can't do any sleight of hand. But if our lives are hid in Christ or with Christ, what is it that people should see? If in a sense... Uh, you know and baptism is an excellent picture of that because when a person is baptized you know there is the, the the man the old man that is being being buried in a watery grave and the only thing you see on the surface is water you don't see anything but when that person comes up out of the water he's a it's supposed to be a symbolic of what happens when Christ came forth from the grave there is a new life that's there for the person who's hid in Christ Again, too, what people should see, and granted, they do still see a little bit of us, but if our lives are hidden in Christ, we're like that diamond in the palm of God's hand. And what people should see is God. They should see Jesus in us. They should see, you know, that we're hid in Him. And the the little section that we're going to close with is found in verse 4, the last thing that he says then, that when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, because... There is life in Christ. We know that in Acts chapter 1, as Jesus commissions the disciples to preach the gospel, he sends them out. But as he ascends up into heaven, and they look and they see two angels there, and the angels ask the men, why why are you guys looking up here? He says, this same Jesus that you've seen ascend into heaven is going to come the same way. He's going to come back in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about his return, the return of Jesus Christ. Um, It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and, and, and again too, I bring this up because knowing that Christ is going to return, he's going to appear once again, should affect the way that we live this life. It should affect the choices that we make. It should affect the priorities that we have. It should affect the things that we not only seek, but that we set our affections on, knowing that he is going to return. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we haven't gotten to that epistle yet, but when we do, one of the things that the Apostle Paul is combating is some of the false teaching or doctrine that was trying to come into the church. And the early church was waiting for the return of Christ. They were hoping and anticipating. One of the things, too, you'll find in the New Testament, sometimes it's mentioned, it's a particular word that was used by believers with other believers when they would either greet or whenever they would part company, but it's the word maranatha. And the word literally means come quickly Lord Jesus. I mean, they wanted Jesus to return. They were looking forward forward to Jesus's return and I, I ask the question when Christ who is our life shall appear I mean are you looking forward to the return of Christ or would you be fearful at his return and I know, you know, throughout church history, there have been different junctions, junctions of time where prophetically people have looked at it, the church has looked at it, pastors, teachers have looked at it, I believe we're living in the generation that will see the return of Christ. And all of a sudden, there's a, you know, again, two people are looking at the wrong thing. They're looking at the circumstances. We need to be always prepared for the return of Christ. One of the, And getting back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is dealing with some teaching, some false teaching, that unless you were alive when Jesus returned, you wouldn't go to heaven. And he sets that straight by what he says here in First Thessalonians chapter 4. He says in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend, I'm sorry, I should back up a verse or two. Verse 14: For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So, he makes a clear statement that if a person dies in Christ Jesus, they're not going to miss out on the resurrection, they're not going to miss out on the return of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. <laughs> trump. Um, with the trump of God. When we were in Israel, this guy asked me a question. He, said, he, he felt sorry for the United States. He says, Oh, the United States, it's a mess. I said, yeah, it is. He said, if you were to put Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump on a deserted island, who would survive? And I'm trying to think, this is this a legit question? And his answer was, the American people. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> But anyway getting back the lord himself will descend from heaven verse 16 with the voice of the archangel and the trump of god and the dead in christ will will rise first then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the lord wherefore comfort one another with these words Going right into chapter five of First Thessalonians says, "But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them as travail or birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light." and the children of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. When Christ, who is our life, will appear, then you also will appear with him in glory. There is going to be a change that takes place. The change will take place for those that have died in the Lord. It'll be what the Bible describes as that resurrection, that transformation. But the Bible also acknowledges that there will be those that will be alive at the return of Jesus Christ. And you know, I mentioned the trip to Israel, and I, I mentioned my difficulty. You know, I'm just, I know it doesn't help that I'm carrying extra weight, number one. Number two, I have back problems. I had, you know, when my wife and I were newly married, I threw her up in the air and I caught her and I fractured my 7th vertebrae there was nothing they could do I suffered for about a year to recover from that but then about 12 years ago I had a staph infection in my back and not only was it in the muscle tissue it was in my bloodstream nearly killed me but it was also on the bone tissue in the spine and the recovery for that was long and hard those of you that are part of our fellowship you know me you could tell the others the things I went through but in a nutshell i had a line that went into my arm had antibiotics pumped into my heart 7 days a week 24 hours 24 hours a day for about 4 or 5 months and then after that i was taking antibiotics another couple months orally and then after that i was still sleeping 14 to 16 hours a day for almost a year so it was a pretty traumatic thing all that to say is i didn't do I mean, you know physically This trip to Israel was very taxing, and and yet at the same time, and I I appreciate it because Kathy at one point came alongside and and she was just trying to encourage me, but she said, it's really hard getting old, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it is. You know, just trying to keep up. But I'm looking forward to the change that's going to take place. This isn't the body that I'm going to have in heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll close with this because again, too, it describes perfectly what's happening in verse 4 of our passage. When Christ, who is our life, will appear, then, and again to this is for those that are believers in Jesus Christ, then shall you also appear with him in glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There is a hope. And the hope that we have is the return of Christ, but the change that will take place. I know I said 1 Corinthians 15 would be the last passage that I read, but I'll just tell you if you want one more, and you can read it on your own. First John chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. And it says that when we He shall appear, we will appear like Him. We will be glorified. We will, again, to this old man, an old woman, these tents that we're dwelling in that were, they're temporary, but there is something that's far better that Jesus has prepared for us. And that's our hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for the reminder of these things. And Lord, help us if necessary, to adjust our priorities to the things that your word says. Especially, Lord, as we believe that we may be living in these last days, the world really does look like a mess, and really there is a need, Lord, for you to come and to to redeem all things. So, Lord, we look forward to that. Lord, I ask your blessing upon your people. And if there isn't anybody that has experienced or if there's somebody that hasn't experienced what it is to be born again that hasn't experienced to receive the forgiveness of their sins and they'd like to it's just as simple as them inviting you to come into their hearts and i pray that they would do that lord or at least come up and ask me afterwards but lord i ask you to bless your people and it's in your mighty name lord jesus that i pray amen